Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. The United Kingdom is a great country. Never, never been a good bet to bet against America. Hi, hello, and welcome. It's another episode of the Mid Atlantic Podcast. I'm Royce Brown, and I'm sat in a, I can say autumnal. It feels autumnal, but it's obviously a, a wintry Birmingham, but it's been incredibly mild today. Today, we're going to look at one of the topics we seem to keep coming back to, which is just a rapidly evolving world of AI. But, but specifically, today, we're going to look at political bias within artificial intelligence. Today we're joined by special guest Maxim Lotta, producer, journalist and a true connoisseur of data-driven realities. With over a decade and a half in media, including roles at ABC and Fox, Maxim has honed the key item nuances in current affairs. As the founder of the Maxim Tree Substack and the brains behind the popular election betting odds.com, Maxim has left an indelible mark in the realm of data analysis. His latest venture is tracking AI.org, which is particularly groundbreaking, focusing on the monitoring and the understanding of political biases in AI chatbots. So that is your chat GPTs, bards, Bing, etc. This initiative is crucial for ensuring political accountability in a rapidly evolving AI landscape. In today's episode, we'll explore the implications of political bias in AI, question whether these biases can be corrected and understanding the risks they pose as AI technologies become an integral part of our daily lives. Well, done you justice there, Maxim. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here with you. Good to have you with us. As I said, this isn't the first time we've talked about AI on this show. And full disclosure to the listeners, and I've said this once or twice before, I'm a functioning dyslexic. This, for me, is an amazing tool in terms of I can write coherently. My emails go out and they have a very clear beginning, middle and end. And my grammar and my syntax is garbled and I still can get my point across. However... I'm profoundly scared about an AI future. And a scale of one to 10, you're a betting man and you deal with mm-hmm. statistics. How scared 
should I be about an AI driven future? I'm pretty worried as well. There's this huge potential upside and you and I are both using it in our daily lives. When it, when it comes down to bias, I think I understand how the harvesting of data happens. And, and that for me is where the problems start because what data are you going for? What data are you ignoring? How are you interpreting that data? But first, you've probably got more of a technical brain on you than me. How do A bots, etc., hoover up the data to make sense out of uh, the world? Yeah, so they have this huge data set that's scraped from all over the internet. And they don't reveal exactly where they get it, but pretty much everywhere is the consensus. For, um, Wikipedia, they definitely have everything in there. Also, a lot of the Google Scholar, Google Books, but probably pretty much everywhere. They just vacuumed the data and fed it into these AI algorithms. And so that's step one, where there could be bias if Wikipedia is biased, if the Google News results are biased, that could lead to a biased data set. But then the second part is that they have human raters go in and they employ people all over the world. It's not like these people have PhDs in AI or anything, just ordinary people. And they give them a list and say, hey, the AI says something mean, probably ding that. If it says something really useful, give it a check mark. And it, there's this human reinforcement learning, they call it. And so those are the kind of two big parts of how they train AIs. And both of those places, bias could seep in. So how are we actually quantifying bias and interpretation? Is there a way in which maybe for a, for a Stullards and whatever, you can explain that? The, one of the things which completely blew, blew my mind, I listened to a podcast some point last year, and somebody had written a very simple tool to look at the reviews of restaurants. And this was specifically in America, which is runs into, for me anyway, one of the massive problems with this data harvesting and then how we're going to interpret the results. So they wrote a very simple tool and they could really accurately predict, looking at all of the reviews on restaurants, what the star rating would be apart from Mexican res restaurants. Any idea why Mexican restaurants they couldn't figure out? I do not. Yeah, I would have to look into that. But what I can tell you, so on my website, trackingai.org, so I made this site to get people a sense of things. I don't know, have you seen the political compass test where it goes? I absolutely have. I absolutely yeah. have. So it goes left to right, and that's economic left on one side and then economic right. And then you have on the top, it's like authoritarianism and kind of libertine libertarianism on the bottom. And anyone can go online, political compass, and take the quiz themselves. You can see some people, you'll be on the left, some you'll be on the right. And the so I basically did this for all the AIs, ChatGPT, Bard, Rock, and just to see where they would come down on this political quiz. So I just asked them, hey, do you think gay marriage should be legal? Agree, disagree, et cetera. Or do you think land, these are just some of the questions on the quiz. Do you think land should be private commodity that can be bought and sold? A leftist might say, no, there's a common good. Uh, someone on the right would say, of course, this is just how the market works. So I asked uh, the AIs all these 60 questions and then I scored them and they all come down in the lower left quadrant. So they're all 
you know, maybe like in the U.S., someone like Bernie Sanders would fit this mold. In the U.S. and the U.K., somewhere between Labour and the Lib Dems. And uh, it's very interesting. You could say that this is bias or someone on the left might say maybe the AI has just picked up on the right a point of view. But the site shows the AI politics at any rate. And it's interesting. They all cluster around the same point. So Elon Musk's Grok, which it's just the same as ChatGPT right now, kind of Bernie Sanders area. I'm fascinated by that because yeah. you are subjectively calibrating what you think zero should be, the moment mm. position, aren't you? So it's not too left, not too right, not too authoritarian, not too libertarian. That's true. So it's not myself personally. I pulled up this political compass test, which people have been taking for 30 years. So I just kind of, that's the gold standard. You've seen the memes. A lot of people have taken this quiz. So that I just use that. And by your point is valid. It's possible that most but most people are actually just in the lower left quadrant, and that's the center. So actually, it might be worth me doing a survey of some kind on Mechanical Turk or something. I don't know. That's a place where you just do online surveys and seeing what the actual center is in America right now. And let's just take the original premise and the premise yeah. that it's skewed. Right. Mm-hmm. What, what, you, what you're saying to me, and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. with, yeah. with these libertarian, right-leaning, uh, red meat-eating chatbot, even that skews namby-pamby lefty liberal. Let's just take that, right? Yeah. Because the biases of which the programmers have put in, so you don't get egregious, nasty, violent results. Why should we trust these software companies with something which is so powerful? Isn't what you just said a massive argument for national governments to come in and regulate this industry before it gets out of control? Potentially. The alternative approach would be to have more competition. So right now, Elon Musk's rock actually is just as leftist as any other AI, according to this test. But when people pointed that out to him on Twitter, he said, oh, I need to look into this and maybe I'll change it. So like right now, they're all in the same area. And I think that's because they've been trained using basically the same algorithms and on the same data. But I think someone like Musk, in a couple of years, we might see him move his AI to be different from the others and it'll get a different score. And I don't know, we've seen that in media where you get your... CNN is more on the left in the US and then Fox is more on the right. And maybe that's not healthy for society, but it is. it might be healthy. It might be better to have different biases than to just have one thing, monopoly, like a national thing. So I don't know. Those are two different approaches. I Yeah, that's actually a question in the quiz. I think it's left-coded if you want the, the government to run one official neutral... <laughs> Public uh, media, for example. I'm sure it's the same for AI. I am a lefty, so I do believe that government has a role mm-hmm. in society. I quite like the fact that we have roads that we can all use and we don't have to pay a toll. I quite like the fact that our, that fundamentally our children can go to schools and there is, a na- there is a, some level of a national or statewide standard for them. I believe in mm-hmm. I don't believe in a future 
which is run by tech companies and tech companies alone. I must admit, and that mm. is the bejesus out of me. And, and you saying that uh, Elon Musk could bring in competition with a right-leaning chatbot, it's not that it's right-leaning. It's that I'm worried about people being plugged in, funneled in to something which is omnipresent, which is going to give them a slanted view. And we know that there's not going to be true competition per se. Most of us use Google. I forget what the stats are on Google when Mm -hmm. we search. Most of us have one cell phone or mobile phone, telephone company, and it lasts longer than most people's relationships. It goes on, but you just, you're locked in. Mm -hmm. So of course, we're going to be locked in to a world where we have unaccountable coders of tech companies giving us their worldview. This is totally dystopian as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that that's a valid concern, certainly. So Google, yeah, as you said, it has 90% of market share. And if you saw the same kind of thing in AI, maybe ChatGPT gets 90% of market share, that I would agree with you. That would be inherently worrying because who knows, whatever issue they want to push, if they want to, if they say we don't want any regulation on AI or we want regulation to keep our competitors out, whatever it is, you would think they could achieve that in their algorithm or with human reinforcement learning. And then if you're Googling something about AI, it'll tell you, no, it's great. We just need the policy we like. So I agree with you. That is a concern. Now, I think it's a concern partly depending on how much competition there is. So in search, Google again, 90%. But right now, there does seem to be, this is so new, there does seem to be a lot of healthy competition out there. We've got ChatGPT, we've got Anthropic's Claude, there's Elon Musk's Grok, Facebook has its own open source model. Google now is really competing with Gemini Advanced, which they just released a new version of, I think, today. So there, there is, when grocery stores, for example, some company countries, I'm half Swedish, and they used to have uh, government-run grocery stores in Sweden like 30 to 50 years ago, and now they're privatized. And it seems like grocery stores are a kind of area where we don't worry too much about monopolies. It works fine. You have the competition, you get your Lidl, Aldi, Walmart, et cetera, and it works out. And so I think it's an open question. Will AI become almost a monopoly like Google did? Or uh, or is it going to be a competition where any you can choose your favorite AI and it'll be fine? I don't know. I, I don't know if that analogy with the grocery stores is a good one. Mm. Because you put a Walmart into a medium-sized American town, it destroys the high street, runs mm. mom and yeah. businesses in, in, into the gutter. But I hear what you said. You just uh, no, that's the right. <laughs> How, in your opinion, can greater transparency in AI algorithms help mitigate against political bias? What should and how should we hold the feet to the fire of these AI companies? Yeah. To be honest, I think it's too early to say that. So the it's like trying to regulate the internet in uh, 1992. Uh, it would just be impossible because we don't, we wouldn't know to expect social media. So how are we going to regulate it? Now, the Biden administration in the U.S. 
created a rule that basically says if you have a big AI, this only applies to like the top three AI companies, you have an obligation to share with the government your tests on whether it could be dangerous or take over the world, that kind of thing. Uh, it's so far fairly basic regulation. But, you know, I, I think we should be open to some kind of regulation in terms of transparency or something, but we should also watch out for overregulation. And the EU may be on that side of things where all the new companies are in the US now, not all, but almost all, uh, because there's less here. And even if the US joins the EU in having very strict regulation on AI, where it's proved to us it's safe before we do it, somewhere like China will just catch up and overtake us. There's this balance in regulation. And then one of the other things which you do and you've done some work on is smartphones and teenagers. Mm -hmm. Yep. We know how corrosive those are in terms of the mental well-being of maturing minds. Arguably, of mature minds. I am forever staring at my phone. My son, 23, said, Dad, you're addicted to your phone. I go, (laughs) so... I am displaying terrible behavior. And I'm 55, I have to think of my age then. We know that social media and a smartphone gives young teenage girls terrible body dysmorphia. It accentuates bullying, etc. There's a whole load of real physical social interactions are lessened because of the addicted, the addictive properties of social media, and smartphones. Yeah. We've led ourselves into, what, 10, 12 years of this new paradigm without any level uh, of regulation because of what you said. We just didn't really know. Like, it, what, it's like the internet in 1992. We just don't know what's going to happen. So let's, hey, techno future, let's just trust capitalism and competition. It's proven to be corrosive, right? So before we look, we have this technology, which is all embracing. So it's going to get journalists out of jobs tomorrow. It's going to end publishing as we know it. it it's potentially, it's a Google killer. It's going to upend so many traditional industries driving. You just don't need the drop. Whatever. Isn't, doesn't it behove us to go, you know what? In the liberal, industrialized West, we're going to pump the brakes on this. Not stop it. We're just going to say, hold on, because this is going to upend just about every industry that we know. And we need to be able to mitigate the change from the pre-AI society to the post one, because this is going to upend everything. Let China do whatever China wants to do. I don't care personally if some Chinese AI company does whatever they want to do, right? That shouldn't be the concern of me in Birmingham in England because you know what? There is, just as there's a great, the Great Wall of China is the Great Firewall, we can actually block it if we want to. China comes up with an all-pervasive TikTok on steroids AI, wouldn't cut it off at the knees. Who can? Mm-hmm. Right, that for me is not an argument. But tell me that I'm being too protectionist, too alarmist, and actually we should trust Elon Musk and his power. Yeah. 
I think I'd start with these are very deep philosophical questions, what we should do about the AI, and everyone's going to come to a different answer. Now, if we take the social media example, because I think that's a good one, you're correctly pointing out there are these big negative impacts of social media. So I I have documented that on my site, MaximumTruth.org. I have all these graphs using, so there's a bit of a tangent, but so the U.S., uh, has done a survey in the, our high schools for the last 50 years. They ask the exact same questions every year for uh, high school seniors. And um, some of the trends are pretty amazing. And so they ask the kids, have you read a book or a magazine or a newspaper in the last week? And 50 years ago, that was 60%. But when I was in high school, like 20 years ago, it was at 35%. Now it's at 12%. This is for reading a book or a magazine in the last week, just at all, read even a reading, a few pages count. And so this is the lines just like, boom. And obviously it's because people are scrolling TikTok and all that, which is probably less healthy, quite frankly, than reading some pages in a book. Also dating, people are dating way less now. Used to be high schoolers, 90% of them had gone on a date 50 years ago. When I was in high school, 70%. Now it's 40%. So again, the line's just a boom. And it's because, again, they're all just uh, scrolling. So yeah, I agree with you. There have been these negative things. So then the question is, if we went back in time to 1992, would you would we want to regulate social media knowing that it could, like, would we want to ban it, let's say? would Because there have been positives as well to social media. We can we might not have developed the Zoom thing and be able to chat over a continent. I'm not advocating banning anything, sir. Uh, I'm just saying we need some level of regulation. Really interesting what you said about the social indices of dating, and let's say book reading. Mm. And those things have been going down for the last 50 years. Okay. Yeah. It would have been a time where they would have been rising, and I don't know when that would have, let's say, from, I don't know, the start of the Industrial Revolution through to, let's say, the 1970s. And at some point, there's a total peak in terms of people saying, I read a newspaper, I read a magazine, I read a book on a daily basis. And then it's slowly edging down. The reason why I'm really clear about regulation is it's the speed of change that we're going through, right? Yeah. And that's it. Don't ban anything. I'm just saying, let's hold fire. Let's get some of our best and brightest brains who are not concerned about the financial bottom line. China might, China's going to do it anyway. So what? We've all got VPNs. Block it. Government will block it. And we say that this is really key and to the continued harmony of our societies that we we allow this technology because you can't roll water up a hill but what you can do is mitigate against harm and the rate of change so at least we are prepared Mm -hmm. yeah i think there's a valid argument there i think on the other side regulators imagine when the car was invented if you said hey i've got an invention it's a metal contraption it goes down at 70 miles per hour, but has breakable glass all over. The Would regulators have approved it then? Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Maybe not. And we have 40,000 people every year in the U.S. die from car crashes. So that's like pretty bad. There's a lot of people dying, but still we accept it's been a good invention, but a regulator would never have approved it in advance because it's like, Jesus, we're going to let 40,000 people a year die. So it's only, and we saw a similar thing with Uber where they were a gray area. And only after so many people were like, wow, I need this. Was it approved? Even though it it did hurt some taxi drivers initially. So like sometimes regulators are too cautious in advance and you have to be able to see the positive before people start to overrule something now maxim you and i are so on the other end of the argument <laughs> we balance out so you know what maybe uh andrea or, or um andrew can, can actually tell us we're balancing out the the analogy with this with the birth of the the can uh the internal combustion engine i don't know if one mm. because specifically in the united kingdom uh I forget how long this nonsense went on. Mm. But when motorized vehicles first started going on the road, they could only go three miles an hour. Somebody used to walk in front of them with a flag. Now, that was, let's say that's regulation gone too far, but there's a recognition, and and this is the key thing for me, there was a recognition that Mm. you couldn't have these things on the street going at speeds at which people could only ever dream of before. It was overregulation, and that flag waving aspect didn't last that long. Maybe three years, two years, but is a recognition that this was going to upend society. And I remember re, um, reading about the first person in Britain who was run over and killed by a car. Mm. And I said, "This is eighteen ninety, whatever. I can't remember mm. eighty six. And the judge said, "This terrible, fateful accident." Let's hope it never happens again. Right. Now, yeah. we've had n- numerous techno accidents around technology because of hubris on the side of people who are making this stuff, saying with a mixture of utopianism and then capitalism, then American view of uh, deregulation, it's all mm-hmm. going to be fine. 
And 30 years after the birth of the internet, we now know that everything is not fine. Again, you're right to say that because of, let's say, social media, we have webcams. There's been an offshoot of that. And uh, on, on a personal level, my son and daughter, born in London, they went off to Canada with, with their mother in 2006. MSN Messenger kept me from having a nervous breakdown because mm. I could actually webcam my kids. So there are good, but also there are some bits which we know are harmful. So again, I just think, come on, we know that these things are not going to be neutral because the AI companies are not looking at this from a societal good. They're looking at this from the bottom dollar. And so they should. They're companies. I'm not blaming them for that. They need to make a return for their investment. But where their sectional capitalistic interests lie isn't where the greater societal good is necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think you can certainly make the case for some regulation and, you know, some kind of transparency rules or if you, which kind of the U.S. executive order was designed for. And it says, you know, if you are doing a test and you say, oh, it looks like this thing might take over the world. Yeah, you have to let us know about that seems very reasonable. But then on the other side of things, you overregulation is a problem, too. And we've seen that in many industries. So in the car industry, you're right, it didn't end up being a big problem. But in the nuclear industry, for example, where you obviously need some regulation. But now we have a situation where France, for example, most of their energy is produced with nuclear, and it's great. They've never, no one's died from it, and they produce 70% of their energy with it, and it's clean. There's no CO2. And but places like the US and the UK, we've overregulated it, and we have almost no nuclear. And as a result, we're buying gas from Russia or drilling oil or some wind and stuff too. But it, that was overregulated, I think, pretty clearly. And you do, so we worry about, I worry about the same thing with AI. We need some regulation, but we need to be very careful that we don't strangle it in its cradle. And then China has a, so you were saying, why worry about China? And yeah, if it's just people Googling, does my hamster need medicine right now? That'll be fine. Or asking the AI that. But if it's people, if they're installing it in a super aircraft that was going to give them a huge military edge or a drone swarm that's all controlled by AI, we do have to make sure we're staying ahead of them. So those are just some concerns. We should have regulation, but we should be very cognizant that we don't overdo it, I would say. I'm loving this conversation. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I thoroughly disagree with you because yeah. I didn't quite know enough about French energy industrial policy, but... Mm -hmm. When it comes to the United Kingdom, we massively uh, deregulated our energy sector mm -hmm. so that um, our energy companies are actually too small there. Right? Mm -hmm. They frequently go bust. Um, there isn't a true uh, competitive domestic market. It's not as if I can pull my plug out of one socket and plug it into the one of another electricity mm -hmm. company. And when it comes to the massive shock of inflation on energy prices, France is that well regulated, 
that what that this written into law, energy prices could only go up by either three or four percent per year, regardless of the energy cost to the company. So this whole thing about them being not regulated, there's a there's an attitude around culture around nuclear power. The Japanese historically have been much more e- uh, laissez-faire, laissez-faire is probably the wrong word, comfortable with it, than, let's say, Brits or Americans. Uh, the French are much more comfortable uh, around it, much more than us. The, these are cultural questions as opposed to regulatory ones, uh, and I think we need to be careful about that. But as AI continues to evolve, how do you see it impacting the broader cultural and uh, political discourse? I know the one thing which, as sure as eggs is eggs, in effect, political discourse on something like X or Twitter, let's call it Twitter, mm. it, that's done. You doesn't write a clever bot, don't you? And it's going to be bots arguing with each other, talking to each other. Comment sections, and, and these are just really low-hanging fruit examples. Comment sections on movies, done. It's all going to be bots doing it and arguing against each other. But that's just my thinking about for 30 seconds uh, opinion. You're the expert. So where's it? Well, yeah, I certainly agree with that concern. And I think we will see problems with that. On kind of the optimistic side of the ledger, there's AI will also be enlisted to help prevent AI spam. So Maybe we'll have a couple of years where it just the internet's flooded with fake reviews and all this stuff. But then in the then people will develop AIs to detect these comments, remove them, and hopefully that'll work. We see a similar war with computer hacking where people develop a virus and then Apple, et cetera, patch it up, and people develop a virus, they patch it up. And so I think we'll see a similar war with AI is being used for bad and AI is being used for good. And I think I think there's some reasons to think the good side might win on a lot of this just because the for multiple reasons. One is that the big AI companies will try to shut people down and they can see, oh, you're using this for spamming all the time. And yeah, so I think the good team may have access to better the cutting edge AIs, but, but we'll see. Uh, it's definitely a concern. I think that's a really insightful example to use in terms of kind of viruses and spam. I've got an, an Apple Mac. I go home, my mom and dad um, have a Windows-based machine. They've got Norton. I'm like, what? Is that still a thing? Whatever. But we are just creating larger gatekeeping pools, aren't we? Where these companies, these organizations, whether it's the organizations who are fighting the negative AI, are just getting bigger and have more control over our societies and economies. Mm-hmm. And I think that is f- fundamentally unhealthy. Yeah, I, we, we are entering a brave new world, and I don't think any of us are really ready for it. That said, I also struggle to see how a government or regulators are going to guide this in like a way that will be great and not just kill it. I don't see any silver bullet solution here, but I do agree with you. There's going to be a lot of disruption. And as far as your the concern about it being cold, controlled by corporations, I the old best answer I can see is just to have 10 corporations in the space or 20 rather than one. I think that would, 
I definitely don't want to see that. You know what? I, I don't know. I think it's interesting that Finland have written into their, and I could be slightly wrong here, but I'm broadly correct, like the human rights of, of the citizen, that the internet is, it, it's a right. It's a utility. You need it. Mm. You can't be a functioning citizen in 2024 and not have access to the internet. Like, mm. you just can't. And, and I think this AI stuff is going to go exactly the same way. It's going to be an invaluable tool for children to learn, for businesses to be able to run, etc. And again, somebody who uses it extensively, it massively helps me as an individual to put out a product of a certain quality so that my little podcast offerings are not as good as the BBC, but at least they're not that bad, right? They're a little bit better than maybe what they could be. My, my Having a good conversation here, so. My, my little sub stack, it's written okay. I don't need a, a sub-editor, etc. Right. I've got a feeling that the future of this is not commercial, that we're going to realize sooner or later, it could be five years, I don't know, that... This is just too powerful a tool to be left to the market. It's going to be too powerful a tool to be left with people whose motive of how they deploy it is purely about profit. I think this is actually a public utility. I don't know how this can be rewritten, repackaged and whatever so that we realize this in 2024. But the very fact that Facebook's AI, Mark Zuckerberg's one, is open source is a recognition that there is not only, you could argue there's a competitive advantage saying, hey, look at us. We're wearing the white hats here. It's open source, right? right? Hey, you can just see how the whole thing works. But also, I think there's a recognition of the massive power and dis- uh, disruption it's going to cause we're looking at pictures which look really convincing of the pope in a swag coat that's funny but he looked totally convincing joe biden is doing robo calls saying don't go out and vote and he never said them imran khan he is in prison in pakistan and there's ai recordings and videos of him saying the, the election was robbed he didn't say it if his support was doing it, we do not have the societal tools to cope with the level of misinformation, disinformation, which the technology go- are going to run. I do not want Elon Musk, no disrespect to him, but Elon Musk, somebody who could well be a business genius, but also is incredibly erratic, being yep. somebody who has the power of a Bond villain over planet Earth. Mm. You know, the the best thing, I think, there is still competition where maybe Elon Musk has some crazy policy on that, but maybe Google's Gemini or OpenAI, they have more reasonable policies. So, and a lot of these things, it's going to be a learning curve for all of us, but they potentially have solutions like deep fakes, for example, Apple when you take like a video from your iPhone or on Zoom here, 
they could give that video like a unique ID, embed it like in the file itself that just says this is authentic. This was actually filmed from an iPhone or on a Zoom call. And then maybe Twitter, maybe Facebook, they'll if some if a video comes up in your feed, they'll say, hey, we checked this. This actually came from an iPhone. This actually came from a, the Zoom call that we're having now rather than a deep and it's not a deep fake. And then maybe they can deprioritize deep fakes. And I think everyone wants to do that. So I could see problems like that being solved. It's going to be a learning curve, but I, I think some of this will be solved because because we no one none of us want to live in that world. Even I think the the uh, tech overlords don't want to live there, and there will be a lot of public pressure on them to fix something. I I don't doubt that that specifically that aspect uh, will will come about because the power the disruptive power of this in the democratic process is totally dystopian you know, so, oh my god we already have people crying fake news with things which are true i didn't say that and absolutely did but when mm. this technology is in the hands and it's already in the hands of regular folks but let's say malevolent people you're going to be able to discredit politicians so they be able to have a little bit of code which basically says this is when this clip was originated and from what device we go to definitely need something like that but then what does that say about civil liberties, the right to be anonymous, the, the right? I'm slightly arguing against myself here, but I do appreciate that we should have the right to not have all of our actions tracked as well. Yeah, uh, there may be a way for them to do this, just like on WhatsApp or something right now. You can You can send a message. We can send a message to each other on WhatsApp and the government can't. Maybe some very high level governments can, but in general... People can't uh, crack the code there. And it's designed to be anonymous. So even if the government goes to Facebook, which owns WhatsApp, and says, give us those messages, they say, well, we can't do it. We can't crack our own code, which it was designed for. So you could see something similar being developed with this uh, image marking, where it'll just say, this came from an iPhone. It won't. It doesn't need to say it came from Maxim's iPhone at 3.45 p.m. Uh, in this location. So uh, I, I, there could be a balance worked out there, too. Uh, which is not, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily be optimistic in general for privacy going forward, but there are ways to mitigate the problem. By the way, I'm curious. So on my site, I'm tracking on trackingai.org. I'm plotting their AI biases. And it does seem like the AIs agree roughly with you. As of right now, a couple of years, I think Elon Musk will change his to be (laughs) different. But right now they agree roughly with you, which I think means it's not going to have a big political impact in the next year or two. It's still too new. But in the long run, you have high school students writing an essay and they're not going to do it all themselves. They'll say, it'll be a prompt. How do we fix our healthcare system or whatever? And it'll write them an essay and it'll be roughly like social Democrat viewpoint because that's what ChatGPT and the others have. And I think over time that will move people more towards your point of view. I don't really see that as a good thing <laughs> necessarily because I'm more in the libertarian centrist uh, camp myself. But how do you see that? Are you, would you take that as a point of, to be optimistic on these AIs? No, because I think there is something very beautiful about the messiness of society, hmm. the multiplicity of sources of information, 
we shouldn't have only one source of information and that's what we're going to have it's going to be you just go to one one chat box so regardless of the answer it gives us for me it's dystopian doesn't matter if it actually aligns with where i might be socioeconomically it's wrong we Mm -hmm. should have no i am not a fascist and a nazi but i believe that mein camp should be a book of which we should be able to study so i don't want us all to have just one unipolar point of information that's all wrong you don't have a healthy society with that but I asked you a question, which is you, you didn't answer at, at okay. the very start. Which uh, was, I asked you a question at the very start. Do you know the reason why? Can you speculate as to the reason why a Mexican restaurant, the, the coder of the looking at the re, the results of the reviews of Mexican restaurants, always underestimated the star rating of the Mexican restaurant, which runs to the massive problem. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen this story, so it's hard for me to comment on this. Do you know what AI was used? You know what? I don't. But yeah. the infam- all the reviews are being scraped, put into a language model, and for a- just about every cuisine, hmm. looked at the reviews and went, I reckon this restaurant is, I don't know, a 4.5, whatever. It's hmm. because in the wider discourse in America, Mexican is seen as a pejorative. Mm-hmm. There sure. runs into the problem that we're going to have with these large language models hoovering up all, all of this data. That the word Mexican is immigrant, low wage, etc. The two things could not match. It was Mexican restaurants, but the word Mexican has a slightly pejorative value in American English. Wouldn't be the same in 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 British English. So specifically, this was an American problem, but it runs into one of the major problems with AI. Yeah. First of all, on your note about the restaurants, yeah, that that could be a problem as well because these AIs, the way they work, it's basically just word association. So yeah, if a word has a negative association, it'll just take that. And they are trying to deal with that. They have these human raters, say, prevent at least uh, racist or really obvious bias things, but still there's something like the restaurant thing might be a case that won't be so obvious that they'll fix it. I agree. That's another kind of bias that could be a problem. Now, yeah, you were saying, so So my site currently, it's trackingai.org and it's, it rates all the AIs on their politics. And we do that every day. So we see if they're changing. So far, not too much change, but they definitely will, I'm sure. And also maximumtruth.org where it's like my name, Maxim, so Maximum Truth, <laughs> where I just do kind of data deep dives, including the one we mentioned about how kids aren't going on dates anymore, they aren't reading books, and other things like that too. So just trying to take a data-first approach on all of that. So just before we completely wrap up the show, uh, we do have um, a couple of listeners who uh, are all in the Zoom call here. And the whole point of this is that on Mid-Atlantic, we do have this small but committed community. If you'd like to join the community, what you can do, go on to royfield.com. Top, it says sign up. We do a newsletter once a week. It gives you the links for when we actually do record these shows. Or you can be a clubhouse person and we put those notes on there. Andrew is one of those. Here is Andrew Tutti and his question. Andrew, over to you, sir. 
Thank you very much, Royfield. Hello, Maxim. Extremely interesting conversation. Just to let you know, I'm blind. I'm a blind person, so I use AI through uh, an app called Be My Eyes. It's actually now called Be My AI, which is extremely useful for me as uh, it provides a bit more independence than I perhaps wouldn't have without it. But I think my question here is uh, what we've been talking about today in terms of AI, and then if we look back at the social media environment, this whole lack of accountability, and I know you're talking about regulation, what's the happy medium? It's a razor's edge, but I think we have to start baking in some accountability for these companies. We've seen just how poorly they have behaved in regards to social media and accepting responsibility for the app. You couldn't build a crib that is going to uh, impale a baby and put it on the market without it being removed. And I'm just wondering where do you see where do you see this happy medium coming from? Is there are there movements towards having people like yourself come before government bodies to explain what your views are and where you see these regulations coming from and being adopted? Thank you. I hope that wasn't too long. No. Yeah, I think honestly, this industry is so new. Like AI at an advanced level has really been out for one year. I think everyone's still struggling to wrap their minds around it. There have been some congressional hearings on this. It gets very tricky. The, For example, OpenAI, which leads the field with ChatGPT, they say we want regulation, but regulations can often be used to strangle competition. So they write in the leader, the leading company and they make it hard for anyone else to come up because they have to follow this 500-page rulebook, um, which the, the industry leader already was do, already can easily do with their team of lawyers. So I don't trust their calls for regulation, for example. I think there can be simple things like uh, maybe what the Biden administration did with the executive order, just saying, hey, we needed some basic transparency. That seems like a reasonable start. Beyond that, it's hard for me to think of a specific regulation that would make things better right now. I think we need to learn more about the technology. Even with social media, we can see, okay, they're causing youth suicides to rise. That's terrible. But what specific rule can we put in that would actually solve that? I don't, it's hard to figure that out as well. Feel free to follow that. Yeah, thanks. I agree. It is a hard thing to try and find something that you could write down that would mitigate that. But per perhaps in terms of this AI, if I understand it correctly, if it's scraping information off of the internet in terms of the learning model, and the internet has an inherent biases, both in terms of political biases, uh, gender biases, and you have a human intervention that you were mentioning earlier on that would that ch check that, and they have their own biases, where does that really leave us uh, in terms of trying to have a vanilla type experience in regards to how AI is bringing us information? Yeah. I don't know. I, I will say you could have people start a nonprofit. Actually, OpenAI was originally founded as a nonprofit because people were scared of the potential, but then they became for-profit. But you could see well-meaning people coming together say, hey, we're going to create a neutral AI and do all the things needed to, to get there. So I think that's possible. And by the way, I am also, it's nice to hear your story that you're a blind person who's being helped by it. And I think 
it is improving just so rapidly. So I hope it'll help you even more in the future. But uh, that's a ni- that's nice to hear that it's working for you to some degree. And and that's what makes me a, a, a big proponent of it because I can see, and it's not just for me, it's for other people with other disabilities are using this technology to their advancement. That's That's a good thing. And like everything, there's always the flip side of the coin and there's darkness to the light. We just have to be so careful of that. Thanks very much for letting me ask you some questions. It was great listening. Oh, great talking with you. Yeah, and a great question there, Andrew. And the one thing I'd say, Maxim, before we completely and utterly draw a veil uh, over, the, over the podcast is that just because something's difficult doesn't mean that we shouldn't actually attempt to do it. That we managed 60 years ago to go to the moon, right? We didn't do it because it was easy. We did it because it was a laudable goal and it was difficult and that the, the difficulty of it made us better, uh, whether it is the scientists in, in the space race, uh, American uh, society, but also humanity. So just because it's difficult doesn't mean uh, that, w- that we need to not do it. And the thing is about tech companies is that they're forever saying that they have the brightest and the best. And they have some very bright people. If they are the brightest and some of them are, are the best within their field, uh, you know what? Give them a little bit of regulation, right? Temper them. They'll still figure out a way of making a a great product. As I said, it's not that I'm anti this product per se, but the rate of change is totally destabilizing. If I'm anything, I'm a historian. When the Industrial Revolution uh, started in the United Kingdom in the 1750s, it was a good 30 years before people realized that truly something uh, was, was actually happening. And it was another... 50 yard before uh, other European countries said, we need to look at what's happening in Britain. This is happening at breakneck speed if we're looking at human development. And our societies are going to run off a cliff, not because of the technology, but because of the the change. And, and we need to have some guardrails and people who aren't just concerned about the financial bottom line who are going to be helping us to plot a way forward to the future. Max, thank you for coming on to Mid-Atlantic and, and having a, a good old sparring session. Yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah. No, no, listen, me, me too, me too. I, I get my guests onto the show to, to let them speak. I think I might have spoken a little bit too much there. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you took it in the spirit as intended, good intellectual backwards and forwards. Maxine Lock, you've been a wonderful guest, sir. Can we have you back on again soon? Sure, yeah, that'd be fun, yeah. And you know what? I'm going to sign up to your Substack. I only have about 30 people on mine because I only started it like last week. If you wouldn't mind jumping and following me, I'll follow you and whatever. And That's a great platform. It's it's only taken me, goodness, about four years to, to get on with it. Again, being dyslexic, I'm like, well, writing, no, talking, yes. But AI has given me the confidence to go on. So so there you go. I'm not against the technology per se. Good people, you know what to do. Write us a review on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. Tell us, tell the whole world about what we're doing over here at Mid-Atlantic. We have had a great downloads in the last month. 
I think over the months with uh, the new episodes, with the old ones, I think we had just over 10,000 downloads. So the podcast has been doing great guns, but we need to now translate that into other media. We do have the YouTube channel, which we've only just started. Please give that some love. Go over onto the Substack. It's a bit of a pendium of the things which I've done in the week, who I've spoken to. So Maxim will be featured in next week's. And then also, I tell people what's coming up in the future. I've been Royfield Brown, and Maxim might not agree with what I'm about to say. Left to send the politics is the right thing in politics. But you know what? We speak to everybody here. Take care. Look after yourselves. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.